0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the second book of Samuel, chapters two through four. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran and they have crafted a golden calf because it's taking too long and Moses hears the revelry in the camp and God has just written the tablets of his law with his finger and the Lord hears it first and says to Moses go down for your people Moses your people who you who does that sound like that sounds like Adam who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf. They have worshipped it. They have sacrificed to it. They said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And said. The one who did it. God is burning with anger. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked people. And therefore, let me alone, that my wrath can burn hot against them, that I might consume them. But you, Moses, of you I will make a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord. He begged the Lord. He said, O Lord, why does thy wrath burn so hot against thy people, whom they, you have brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, bring them forth, just to slay them in the mountains or to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, O Lord, and repent of this evil against thy people. Moses is begging God to relent. And then Moses brings up the covenant. God, remember, You're always true to your word and remember what you said. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, thy servants to whom thou didst swear by your own self. And you did say, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven of this land. And I have promised to give your descendants that they will inherit forever. So Moses holds God true to his promise. He intercedes on behalf of the people. The Lord did repent of the evil which he thought about doing to his own people. And like Noah and like Moses, because of one holy man, Moses interceding on behalf of the people, God relents and saves the whole human family because of one man's righteousness. See how important a righteous man is to the Lord? The potential of one righteous man or one righteous woman. Like Noah, saving his family of eight, Moses is saving a nation of many thousands. The potential of one righteous man. This is a type of Jesus. The potential of one righteous man to save all. Moses is going to give up face time with God. He's been a friend of God. The scriptures say he's the meekest man on the face of the earth. He's a friend of God. They talk face to face. He's giving that all up. He takes the commandments that God had written with his own finger and he goes down, but the Lord tells him, Moses, you're gonna give up face time with me. You won't see my face anymore. You're gonna have to hide in the cleft of the rock and if I come by, you're gonna have to not look. Moses is willing to give that up on behalf of the stick-necked grumbling people. And as soon as he came near the camp, Moses, he's coming down now. He sees the calf. He hears the dancing. Moses' anger burned hot. He threw down the tablets out of his hands. He broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took that golden calf, which the people have made. He burned it in the fire. He ground it into powder. He scattered it in the water. And he made the people drink it. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, and Aaron, his brother, had let them break loose and bring shame Among them, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to Moses. Moses is a Levite, so is Aaron, his brother. And he said, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put every man a sword on his side, go to and from, from gate to gate in the camp, and slay every man and brother and every man and his companion and every man and his neighbor who does not want to be with us. You're either for us or against us. If you're not going to be with us, kill them. And the sons of Levi, according to the word of Moses, killed 3,000 of their own brethren that day. And Moses said, today, Levites, today, you have ordained yourself in the service of the Lord. Each one of you cost of his own son and brother that he may bestow a blessing upon you this day. And it is that day that they become the Levitical priesthood. Now, is that a good start to your priesthood? Do you remember these guys? Levi did not get the blessing from Jacob on the deathbed. Do you remember that Simeon and Levi, the sons of Jacob, had gone into Shechem and killed every single person to avenge the rape of their daughter, of their sister Dinah, Do you remember that? And when Jacob died, I always look back to Genesis 49, what did he say to Levi and Simeon? They should Reuben, number one son, should have had the blessing, he didn't get it, Simeon should have had it, he didn't get it, Levi should have had it, he didn't get it, why? Because Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence with their swords. What did they just done? Slaughtered three thousand of their own brethren at the command of Moses. O oh, my soul, come not to their counsel. O oh, my spirit, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they slay men. In their anger, they slay men. That's bloodthirsty killing in cold blood. In their anger, they slay men, and in their wantonness, they hamstring oxen. Cursed be their anger. It's fierce. Cursed for their wrath. It's cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And the Levites will be scattered all over the country. The Levites from the tribe Levi became the priestly order for the sons of Jacob. Who gets the blessing? son number four. Jacob blesses Judah, son number four, from which David comes. From Judah will come the scepter and the king priest. But for now, the Levites are the priestly order. They're a temporary priesthood. Hebrews makes that very clear. Today, there is currently no branch of Judaism that regards Levitical status as conferable by a matrilineal descent. It is neither conferable patrilineally with a Jewish mother in the traditional manner, or it does not exist and is not conferred at all. Are there Levitical priests still practicing? No, there's no temple. There are no Levitical priests. It was a temporary priesthood. David from Judah is crowned a priest and a king, not from Levi, but from Judah, not in the order of a Levitical priest, but in the order of Melchizedek, which David will write about in Psalm 110 verse four. You are a priest forever, David, in the order of Melchizedek. So the Levitical priests were a temporary priesthood. Doesn't mean that we don't need a priesthood anymore. Certainly not. You have to read scripture closer. Go back to Genesis 14. Go back to Psalm 110. God always had in his mind's eye the Melchizedekian priesthood, of which Catholic priests are ordained. So the priests are to maintain this tabernacle out in the desert. And these are Levitical priests, sons of Levi. And they do a good job. The most prized possession they have is the Ark of the Covenant. Because that is where the true presence of God is on the face of the earth. This is what God has substituted. This is what will go with you now, Moses. And, and they had to carry it just right or, or they'd be struck dead. We'll go through that. But, but the person who made this ark, Moses is up there getting the whole floor plan from God. And Moses comes back down. And this kid, Bezalel, he's 13 years old. He's from the house of Judah. He's the kid that the Lord wants to make the Ark of the Covenant. And I read in a Jewish commentary, he also made the candlesticks in the in the tabernacle with the seven, and Moses was telling him how the Lord wanted it done, and Moses was kind of, couldn't quite, and Bezalel's like, I got it, I got it, I know, I know exactly what. So Bezalel means in the shadow of the Lord, and he had this phenomenal gift of wisdom and knowledge on him. He was filled with the spirit of God with the ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship to craft the inside pieces of the tabernacle of the Lord. A 13-year-old kid from the house of Judah. Another 13-year-old kid from the house of Judah will be a new ark of a new covenant from the house of David. Her name is Mary. We'll get to that later. Torah states that Moses lived 120 years He never got to go into that promised land. And then Joshua was anointed in his steed by Moses himself. He took his position. He leads them into the promised land. The river Jordan at full flood stage parts, and they come through on dry land, just as Moses reminiscent of Moses. He marches the people into the promised land for the first time. The Israelites are on the promised land. The place he crosses is the same place that Elijah will go up in a fiery chariot and throw his mantle down to Elisha. It's the exact same place where John the Baptist, the new Elijah, will baptize the new Elisha, Jesus Christ. Exact same spot in the Jordan River. Joshua was strong and courageous. He was committed to following God's word, and he obeyed every word in the Torah. He obeyed God's word. First thing he does is says everyone needs to get circumcised. In the desert years, some of the kids weren't circumcised. Some of the people didn't get circumcised. He said the minute they got to that promised land, let's circumcise everybody. Circumcision of all the nation was done. They remembered. They remembered. He remembered God's law. He also reinstated Passover. They hadn't been celebrating Passover in those 40 years in desert exile, and Joshua brought it back. They celebrated the Passover at Gilgal the first time, and Joshua would pray, and the Lord would tell him what to do, and their first battle against Jericho, they destroyed the whole city in this most peculiar way. This was one of the most ancient cities of the old world. Things were going so well for Joshua. Be strong and courageous. But then, the very next chapter after Jericho, the people of Israel broke faith in regard to devoted things. What's that mean? They started worshiping idols. When they won that battle with Jericho, they took some of the devoted things, some of the idols, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Again then, there was division among brothers. This goes way back to the first fall. What happened to the human family? Right after the fall, there's division among brothers. Cain kills Abel. Division among brothers. Joshua dies at 110 years old, and it says in Joshua 20 that Israel served the Lord in the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders, and they all knew that Joshua, he was known for doing the work of the Lord. He was a real hero and then we move into the period of the judges which we have been talking about and we know it goes from bad to worse there were 12 judges of israel 13 with eli 14 with samuel and things went from bad to worse in their cycles of sin constantly and that book ends that there was no king in israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes And they started clamoring for a king. We want a king, we want a king. Now what had the Lord told Moses to tell the people about a king? God told them way back in Deuteronomy with Moses, when you get into this land, this promised land that I'm giving you, you're gonna say, you're gonna say, I will set a king over me, like all the other nations around me. God predicted this. You will indeed have a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose, said the Lord only make sure he's from your brothers don't get a foreigner make sure he must not acquire many horses too many horses don't ever go back to egypt to get horses and you know what your king's going to want to do he's going to want to acquire many wives for himself and this will make his heart turn away so watch for that and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom he shall write for himself a copy of this book of the law approved by the Levitical priest. So every king had to copy Torah from start to finish every year. So they would remember the law of God. You first have to know the law of God, so then you can do the law of God. And it shall be with him. He'll read it all the days of his life, the Torah. He'll keep all the words of the law. He'll keep these statues. He'll do them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. And that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, but that he will continue long in his kingdom and his children in Israel. Well, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. Well, the populace, the people, picked the first king of Israel. And they wanted someone tall, dark, and handsome. And they chose King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the worst tribe at the end of the Judges. They're the most corrupt tribe of all. Samuel also told them, the prophet Samuel told them some more things about a king. He's going to want to take your sons. He's going to appoint them to his charioteers. He's going to have them be his horsemen. They're going to be his commanders. They're going to fight. There's going to be wars. There's going to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And he's going to want part of your harvest. He's going to want you to make implements of war. He's going to take your daughters and make them bakers and perfume makers. He's going to get the best of your fields, the tenth of your grain, your maidservants, your man. He's going to take everything. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king who you chose for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you remember at the end of Saul's life the Lord did not answer him we want a king we don't care we want a king we want a king we want a king we can handle it a while later a young boy risked his own life for the Lord of Israel and he gets way more praise and adulation than Saul, and Saul becomes very jealous. His agitation can only be soothed by this kid, David, playing his harp and prayer songs that we now call Psalms. And Saul's agitation grows to rage and he attempts to murder David on more than one occasion and David kept God's word whereas Saul could not even keep his own word and in 1 Samuel 13 Saul offered unlawful sacrifice and Samuel said to Saul oh you have done foolishly you have not kept the command of the Lord your God from which he commanded you for when the Lord would have established your kingdom Saul over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue the lord has sought out a man after his own heart so king saul goes on in 122 of samuel he orders doeg the edomite to fall on the priest and doeg is happy to oblige and 85 levitical priests are slaughtered that day in their linen ephods at the order of saul the king of israel Saul then turns to a medium when he can't hear the Lord anymore, and Samuel is dead. He consults a medium at Endor to conjure up the dead spirit of Samuel. And then at the end, within 24 hours later, Saul has taken his own life, falling on his own sword. So we see these covenants. This is the big story. Saul was the king the people wanted. But David was the king that God always wanted, a man after the Lord's own heart. Now King Saul is dead. This was Israel's very first king. Who's going to replace Saul? Saul had only one living son left. And God had already anointed David privately as a young boy. And so we start with 2 Samuel chapter 2. After David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to the cities of Judah? The Lord said to David, go up. And David said, to which city shall I go? And the Lord said, go to Hebron. And David went up there with his two wives, also, Anohim of Jeruzerel and David brought Abigail, his wife, you remember her, the widow of Nabal, the fool. And David brought up with his men who were with him, every in his household. So he's got these two wives, Ahinoam and Abigail. And he did have another wife back in the day, his first wife, Michal. Remember her? She was the daughter of King Saul. She was given, she was sister of Jonathan, and she was given to David as his first wife for 100 of the Philistines, remember? And David made it 200. She had been taken back by Saul and went to someone else for a political bargaining tool. So she was no longer with them. So David and his whole household go to Hebron. Today it's in the West Bank and it's south there, the the lowest arrow. A little bit above it is Bethlehem, and then Jerusalem is the top arrow. Today, Hebron is a Palestinian city in the southern west bank. It's a contentious area. I've never visited the cave at Machpelah, although I'd like to. It's a very old city, one of the oldest biblical cities, and that second holiest spot for Jews, that cave that Abraham bought from the Hittite. Abraham really, really, really wanted that cave, and he got gouged, remember? and he bought that cave. This is an old city. The Lord even mentioned it in uh, Numbers, in the book of Numbers. He sent men out to spy the land of Cana, and one of the cities they came to was Hebron. It says it was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So it was a very, very old city. Samson, the judge, remember Samson? He had ripped the gates off of Gaza and brought those gates up to the top of Mount Hebron. So it's mentioned in the Bible. It's an important city now sin always brings with it division and starting with adam sin will bring division between spouses right after they sinned remember when god asked adam what happened and adam immediately threw eve under the bus he blamed it on her the woman that you gave me remember so sin causes division with noah Remember, he gets a new creation and he plants a vineyard and he gets drunk. Ham, the father of Cana, saw the nakedness of his father, the Hebrew idiom for maternal incest. So it was division against spouses. I'm sure that didn't go over very well between the two spouses. And it also did not go over well between the brothers because two of the brothers didn't go for that. Abraham, we see the sin when Sarah offers an apple to her husband why don't you take your maid servant Hagar from Egypt and sleep with her and she can give me the baby? Because we're not getting pregnant. We're not waiting on the Lord anymore, this is enough. So he does and immediately, they have contempt for one another the two women sarah says and, and and she says the minute she got pregnant she had contempt for me and he, she's rattling on to to abraham sarah said to abraham may the wrong done to me be done to you i gave you my maid for your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived she looked on me with contempt may the lord judge between you and me abraham so now they have division between the spouses We have the two women fighting, we have the two spouses fighting. Abraham said to Sarai, behold your maids in your power, do with her as you please. And Sarah dealt very harshly with her and she fled. So we have division among spouses, division among fellow wives, and division among the two brothers that are born, Ishmael and Isaac. And there's division to this day. So sin always brings division. And all through Genesis, we saw that some brothers were favored over others. Remember that? Abel, got favored over Cain, Isaac was favored over Ishmael, Jacob was favored over Esau, and on and on and on. We're to David now, and we're in 2 Samuel, and we see two kings, both of these are sons of Israel. Both are sons of Israel, the nation. One king is favored by people, the other king is favored by God. One, the older brother of Israel, versus the younger brother, the favored brother. The house of Benjamin, or the house of Judah? Well, Jacob's final blessing again. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning devouring the prey. And at evening dividing the spoil. How about David from the house of Judah? This is the line that has the blessing. This is the fourth son of Jacob. This is the one who got the father's right hand blessing. One, two, three didn't get it. Four got it. Judah. Judah. Your brothers are gonna praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. Your scepter, which means royalty, a scepter, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruling staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. David is in this line. Jesus is in this line. This is the line. 2 Samuel 2 is the story of King David. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And when they told David that it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, David sent messengers to those men. And he said, may you be blessed among the Lord. You showed loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and you buried him. David says, this is a good thing. You have been men of valor. You have held high the office of God's anointed one. Because now David's next up, right? David's, this is David now. Therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead. And the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. He's maybe hoping they'll come over to his side. And Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbaoth Sheth, the son of Saul, Saul's last living son, and brought him over to Mahaniam. And Abner made Ishbaoth king over Gilead, and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. So, Abner is saying the new king is Saul's son. Abner was the commander of Saul. He was the commander of Saul's army. You might remember David sparing his life yet a second time when David snuck in with his nephew. Saul was encamped with 3,000 officers and David and his nephew Ashboshay sneak past all the Lord had put into a deep sleep. And Ashbeth the nephew, is ready to spear Saul. He says, David, we got him. Uncle David, we can do this. Way. I can kill him. I can one pin him, my one. I can do it with one stroke of my spear, not twice. And David says, no, this is God's anointed one. We're just going to take his spear and his water jug. Remember that? And that's what they did. And they snuck away. And then they went to the top of the mountain. And David called across to Saul and the 3,000 men when they woke up. And he said, Abner, will you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered, who is it that calls to the king? And David said, Abner. Are you not a man who is like you in all Israel? Why have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? This thing that you have done is not good. You deserve to die, Abner, because you have not kept watch over the Lord's anointed Messiah, Saul. That's who Abner is. Now Saul is dead. Abner is the commander in chief, and he has made Saul's fourth son, last son, the king of Israel. Now Ishbaal, Saul's son, was 40 years old, and he began to reign over Israel, and he had a very long reign of two years. Ishbaath means man of shame. This was his name, man of shame. And what's the real story here? The house of Judah followed David, and at that time, David was king of Hebron. David's going to rule over the house of Judah and the scripture says he ruled for seven and a half years over Judah. So we have to remember these wars are going on a long time. Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And we see here a genealogy of, of Saul. Saul's father is Kish, Abner's father is Ner. Saul and Abner are then cousins. And Joab, the son of Zariah, who's Zariah? That's a woman's name. Zariah was David's sister, and she has three nephews that are in David's army. The servants of David go out and meet at the pool of Gibeon. This is Gibeon today, and they have found this pool where this fight took place. Jeremiah spoke of this same pool some 400 years later in chapter 41. And in 1956, archaeologists actually discovered the pool of Gibeon. It was six miles north of Jerusalem, and there's a tunnel that runs from this pool to Jerusalem, and they dug this 80 feet deep sometime before 1000 BC. Now, this is where this showdown takes place they sit down these two sides and one's on one side of the pool the other's on the other side of the pool and abner says to joab david's commander let the young men arise and play before us and joab said let them arise and they arose and they passed over by number 12 for Benjamin and Ishbaoth, Sheth, the son of Saul, and 12 for the servants of David. So we're gonna just, instead of all the armies fighting, we're just gonna take 12 of your guys and 12 of your guys, and we're gonna let them have at it, and we'll see who wins. Then we don't all have to die. We'll just put 12 against 12. They did this in the ancient world, this was common in Greece. And so they're all watching, and they put their 12 out, and they put their 12 out. They caught each opponent by the head, and they thrust their sword into their opponent's side, so they fell down together. So the guys who are fighting have made a pact of some kind that they're gonna just kill each other simultaneously each pair of 12. This is odd. Why would anyone do this? There's no winners then. 12 are dead on each side and everybody's watching. It's even Steven, right Steve? It's even Stephen. 12 to 12. And so they had to fight the entire armies opposing one another, why? Because these are bloodthirsty men who want to fight for the sake of fighting. Some could have gone home to their families, no. We're gonna make it we're gonna promise each other we'll kill each other simultaneously and then we can continue the fighting and the battle was very fierce that day and abner and the men of israel were defeated by the servants of david now something's happening here david's group is getting stronger and stronger and saul's group which is abner and his son is getting weaker and weaker the three sons of zariah this is these are david's three nephews they were there their names are joab david's commander abishai who stole the water jug and the spear, and Asheol, three of David's nephews. And Asheol was known to be swift of foot like a gazelle. He's a super fast runner, is what that means. And Asheol pursued Abner. And as he went, he turned neither to the right nor to the left. That means he is single focused. I'm getting Abner. He is so focused and he can run so fast. And Abner looked behind him and said, is that you, Asheol? And he answered, it is I. And Abner said to him, turn aside to your right or to your left, seize some of the other young men, take their spoil. ashiel the name means made by God. Ashiel was known for his swiftness of foot like a gazelle in an open field. Ashiel would not turn away from following Abner. He is just so bent on this. And Abner said again, a second time, turn away from following me. Abner is the commander of Saul's army. He is a very experienced warrior. He does not want to kill this young kid, this nephew of King David and the brother of the commander Joab of David's army. I'm not killing this kid. Why should I smite you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab, the opposing commander? As Ashiel refused to turn to the side, therefore Abner smote him in the belly with the butt of the spear. That was part two of the second book of Samuel, chapters two through four, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.